So relapse often has three stages before the actual relapse. So the first one is called an emotional relapse stage. And this begins long before you ever picked up whatever it was, whether it's drugs, alcohol, spending, gambling, um, overworking, whatever it is. During this stage, you may begin to feel like you just can't cope anymore emotionally. You don't feel like it's healthy, what's going on around you. So what do we do is we bottle up our feelings, we isolate from everyone, we deny there's a problem, and we neglect our self-care. So while you may not be thinking, oh, look, I, I got it, I don't do this, that's okay. And for anybody tonight that says, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this, maybe we just need to go ahead and skip to the chip call because if you say so-and-so needs to hear this, if you're like me, the Holy Spirit goes, no, you need to hear this. So we're all here for a reason. The biggest thing is we avoid our emotions we avoid difficult situations, and so we start laying the groundwork on the road to relapse. So during this time, there's actually a mental relapse stage. You may be aware that you're holding on to conflicts, you're holding on to emotions, but at the same time, you're trying to cling to that last ounce of sobriety. And while part of you may remain in sobriety, there's another part of you that is battling the cravings and the secrets and the thoughts and everything else that is associated with your old playmates and your old playgrounds. This is the first brick laid in the golden road to relapse. A mental relapse is also where we involve a glorification of the old days. We minimize the, ne the negative consequences of using, spending, anything we have done in gluttony because we seek that high opportunity again to just feel good. And then we go into an actual physical relapse stage. This is the final stage. It's the actual act where we fall back into old habits and old actions and we're there with old playmates who will justify it's okay, it's just one more time. I'll be honest, this week alone, I've already had several phone calls that that last relapse was just that. It was the last time because it took them out. So what begins as initial relapse of having one drink, one use, one spending spree, one gambling trip, whatever it is, it opens the door to usher in guilt, shame, and everything else that takes us to feeling out of control. Now, let's be honest, there are triggers every single day, every single week, every single month that lead up to these actions. There's difficulties in life, there's feelings, there's experiences. Sometimes we don't want to cope with life, sometimes we don't know how to cope with life. But there are several great factors that we can note and we can actually track along the way that has brought us to a relapse. So first there's exposure to triggers. Triggers involve the social cues or the environmental cues that remind us of those old days. The social cues may be when you're out and about and all of a sudden you see an old playmate. They may not see you, but you see somebody from the old days. All of a sudden the memories come flooding in and you forget how bad it was. 
Some people can come in contact with objects, smells, or places. I had someone tell me one time in a step study, she said, there is a cologne that if a man uses, I am instantly a 15-year-old trying to get high. She said, and I have to run from it. There are triggers that are stressors. Stressors go hand in hand with poor coping skills. And half the time, we don't even know that we have poor coping skills. But we turn to find relief, to numb those emotions, to get rid of the stress. But negative emotions such as anger, anxiety, depression, and boredom sometimes increase our relapse. Believe it or not, work and marital stress, no amens from the men, can also contribute to a stressful relapse. Then we have interpersonal problems. We have conflicts with family and friends that lead to negative feelings that include anger, sadness, and frustration. Of these emotions, it's often hard to manage because they end up controlling us. Interpersonal problems are responsible for 50% of relapses. We have peer pressure. There's family and friends that they may not be using or doing, but they're on you to keep achieving. And believe it or not, family members do not understand when they say, oh, but you're doing so good, keep going. When we're doing the best we can and we're hanging on literally by our fingertips and we feel like we're about to fall off the cliff. Sometimes that last pat on the back of I'm proud of you can push us over the cliff. And if you don't communicate that, they don't realize it. There's also a lack of social support. We stress this in our step study groups. It is critical for you to understand in your step study group, that is your trust group. You can come in, you can lay it down right there as you walk in the door, there's no judgment. Sometimes that is the best therapy we can have is to walk into a group that knows all of our junk, say, I'm tired, I can't do it no more, cry, scream, yell, laugh, whatever it takes. As long as when you get up and walk out that door, you're ready to face life again, and we're supporting you together. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes we have injuries, we have accidents, we have medical issues. Doctors will prescribe pills or something to help us, and next thing we know, an acute pain goes into a chronic pain, and it leads downhill from there. I'll be honest, I did not know that I was allergic to codeine and some of the other things until I needed surgery. I'd never had it before. And when I had an allergic reaction to it that almost took me out and stopped my heart, they're like, oh, and by the way, you have a heart murmur. I know now, if anything happens to me, I tell people, don't give me anything. Just take me to the hospital. Because I don't know if that's going to be my last time to go. Sometimes we have low self-efficiency. We're trying as hard as we can, but we just can't get to that next step. But we're also too afraid to ask because everybody's like, I'm proud of you. So shame and guilt stands in front of us and says, don't ask, because you'll be weak if you do. And let's be honest, sometimes positive moods can be a trigger because we don't feel worthy of having positive in our life. Sometimes we're surprised that anything is positive because we're only used to having the negative. So when that positive comes in and all of a sudden we feel happy, sometimes it reminds us of that first high and we start chasing it. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate, we shouldn't have happy days like anniversaries and birthdays and things like that, but if it's a trigger because someone else is doing something you can no longer do, there's nothing wrong with saying, 
I've got to leave and get away from this. Now, when it comes to relapse, there's such long-term issues associated with many different things. Just like I said, I'm allergic to codeine. Well, because of that reaction, they learned that I had a heart murmur. Addiction for many has been classified as a chronic disease. This makes relapse in some people's mind, not everyone, but in some people's mind when they hear it is a chronic disease, some instantly start thinking, I will relapse. We know that several here are battling issues like cancer and some have fought it and it came back. So think about that mentality when we use words like chronic disease. We're saying, you'll never get past it. And that's why I love when we have testimonies and somebody stands up here and said, no, I'm past it. It doesn't bother me, or I know my triggers. I know my boundaries. So we have to be very careful of our verbiage because sometimes we can speak it into them. We can speak that doubt into them. We can speak that you'll never achieve greater than this into their lives. So as we talked about the three stages of relapse, we wanna get over here and start understanding that there's also prevention. When we recognize fear as being negative thinking patterns, we also recognize that this is where the enemy loves to play. This is where the enemy loves to speak fear and doubt into us because if we can't shake it on our own and we can't take it to our accountability partners, then he knows he has a playground and he will sit there and he will tell you all the things like you'll never measure up. They're going to judge you no matter what you say. You're a fraud. You're going to be discovered. You'll never be enough without whatever it is you used to do. You'll never be successful. You know, you're going to relapse. Fear's our greatest enemy because the enemy Satan can only use us against us. So whatever is our greatest fear, think about it. That is exactly what he comes to you with. That is exactly what you need to take to your accountability people. Because there's something about when we verbally say it, he can't hold it over us any longer. That's why I encourage people, do your testimony. Because if all y'all know my junk, then ain't nothing that the enemy can hold against me. Because it's out there. We also need to learn to redefine fun. Again, this is another play on words. For me, it's fun to come to CR. It's fun to see you guys. It's great to have laughs. Fun is not what it used to be for me. For me, fun used to be I'm going to isolate because I don't trust anybody. I'm going to isolate because I can't let anybody in because everybody's a predator. I'm going to isolate because, see, that was mine. It wasn't fun. It was a comfort zone. And the enemy tries to isolate us in whatever we're doing to self-destruct. So we also have to learn that, A, we have to accept our shortcomings. We have to practice honesty in our lives and with each other. We have to develop coping skills to deal with our cravings and our triggers. And we can't do that by ourselves. We need somebody outside of the box that is not emotionally attached to it, that can speak to us. And we need to learn to listen to that Sometimes it takes time to process, and that's okay. If you don't understand, say, I don't understand. 
If you're speaking to somebody and they say, I don't understand, break it down further. But keep talking through it until you get past it. You always want to be active in your, in your step study. Don't just do it once, one time. It's not a one and done. Every year when it rolls around, I tell people, get back in it. Because every year, God brings something new to the surface to deal with. Practice self-care. No is a complete sentence. I cannot tell you this week alone how many times I said, nope. And they said, why? I said, nope. Why? Nope. This is the thing. Sometimes we don't owe a why, and that's okay. When they keep pushing you for a why, I'm going to be honest. I said, mm, that's peer pressure. You can't deal with it because you don't have a reason. I have a reason. It's called self-care. And I walk on. You need to understand the stages of relapse. You need to check yourself. Ask yourself, how do I feel? There's an acronym for relapse. One of them's HALT. And I think it stands for like, was it hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? Ask yourself those things. There's another one that's HEART. I can't remember what the HEART is, but it's like hungry, empty. I think it's angry, rage, and tired. But you have to ask yourself, where am I emotionally? What's going on with me? And whatever it is, and I tell the ladies in step study, wherever you're at, go back to that lesson in the step study. Rework that lesson and then start working them forward again. And it will come to surface. You'll see what the triggers are. You may not know it right away. The hardest thing, get rid of old friends. I can love them from a distance. I haven't got to be involved with them. Don't have to accept what they're doing because if it's harmful to me, that's the only reason I need. Understand that drugs and alcohol and addictions do not discriminate. They don't care where you live. They don't care what color your eyes are. They don't care how much money you got or don't got. They don't care because the enemy's out for the souls, not the bodies. But he will destroy the bodies. Deal with the post-acute withdrawals. You see, when you go through withdrawals, it's not just instant. Believe it or not, every time there's a trigger, there's a withdrawal. It's like an aftershock of an earthquake. You're going to experience withdrawals. You're going to experience cravings. Some are large, some are small. Go back to your accountability team with this. Develop healthy alternatives. So one of the ladies that was in a, one of my step studies, she said, I, I don't know what to do. I, I realize I'm, I'm isolating. What do I do? Well, if you're isolating, then get outside. Go to the park. Start walking. Meet somebody. Y'all walk together. Y'all talk about it. Whatever is destructive in your life, do the opposite to get out of it. Start a new routine. Stop seeing yourself as an addict. We say, I'm in recovery from. Anytime I interact with somebody, they say, oh, I'm an addict. I'm like, no, you're not. You're in recovery from addiction. You are not an addict. You are in recovery from addiction, but you are not an addict. That is not who God called you. Yes, ma'am. I am in recovery from addiction, but in Celebrate Recovery, I'll say, hey, my name is Shannon. I am celebrating recovery from. But when you put a label on yourself, that becomes your mentality, and that also becomes the label others see you. God calls you a child of God. 
God calls you wonderfully made. God calls you a beautiful creation. Those are your labels. Scripture tells us what we are. You're not an addict. So understand that no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, there are growth stages. We celebrate them when we do the chip call. But understand that even in your growth stages, the enemy will do everything he can to kick your feet out from under you. And that's okay. It's not how we fall. It's how we get back up. Because there's always somebody watching us. Even in the hardest of our times, I've had people come up to me that said, you don't remember me, but, and I'm like, no, I don't remember you. Tell me where I saw you. Most time it's in the jail ministry. Or they'll say, I was at 180 when you were part of the leadership and I saw you do this teaching on, and I'm like, I don't remember that teaching. How do you remember that? Because every time I get up here, I share a little bit of me because I struggle just like everybody else does. They watched me give a mini testimony of how I got back up. And then years later, they came back to me. For me, that's God answering my prayer of God, I don't know where you're gonna use me or how you're gonna use me, just use me. I don't ever have to meet them again, just use me. That's our ultimate goal. So, a couple of rules, change your life. Change your playgrounds, change your playmates. Be completely honest with yourself, with your accountability, and with God. Ask for help. There is no shame in the game when you're trying to better yourself and you need help to get that to that next step. Even when you see it, but you just can't physically move, sometimes we need to come along with side of you and take one step at a time together. Practice self-care. No is a complete sentence. Self-care also involves mind and body relaxation. The enemy likes to keep us busy, busy, busy. I'm the poster child for being busy. That's why on Saturday, I don't leave my house. I'll say, hey, you want to go? Do nope. Mm, Saturday, I'm in my pajamas. I don't even turn my TV on. Most of the time, there's some gospel music. It is me and God on Saturday. Because Sunday morning, I hit the ground running. I don't stop till Friday night. It's me and God. And the last one, don't bend the rules. Put them in place. Don't bend the rules. Because I will tell you, there's been many times I've had somebody say, hey, I just need you to go do this. In my mind, my checks and balance is a life on the, hinging on the edge. If it is, I'm going. Because I think that's what God would want me to do. If it's not, I'll talk to anybody. But I've made a commitment to be in the presence of God. And if I'm not going to honor God by having time with him, then how is he going to use me? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for every opportunity just for us to come together because so many times around the world, this alone is worthy of persecution. It is worthy of a death sentence. So I thank you, God, that we do live in a country where we can come together and proclaim your name, call on you by name, openly confess that we give you honor and glory and praise for everything you do in our life. God, because I know when we're in meetings like this, we are sitting among miracles because so many times the enemy has tried to take us out in so many different ways but you put up guardrails god i acknowledge that even a jail cell is a guardrail to keep us from going off the cliff when the enemy is telling us to take one more step 
God, as we go into our altar call tonight, whatever it is, it's on everyone's heart. I just pray that they confess it to you. They bring it to you. They lay it down at the foot of the cross. Because God, when we leave, I know the enemy's waiting. He's thinking of all the lies, all the lies that we're going to believe because he's going to twist them just enough to sound truthful so that we fall for them. God, I ask that you guard the ears so all the enemy's lies just fall on deaf ears. I pray that you guard our eyes so whatever the enemy uses to try to take the focus off of you, we're blind to it and we only see you. God, I pray for protection over every single heart as the enemy tries to plant those seeds of doubt to grow. I pray that they never find a soil to grow in. God, we ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen son. Amen.